Amen. Yes. Father, please, this is our prayer. It really is. I mean, we're so thankful to be here gathered as a church in a safe place, in a beautiful sanctuary. But help that not to define us so much as the cross of Christ and his resurrection. Push us out, scatter us. Send us out with the good news and the hope and the, the, the forgiveness and the, the life that are found in Christ. Push us forward individually as a, and as a congregation as we seek, as we uh, pray, as we fast, as we repent with a view to following you wherever you lead us. That's our desire and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been uh, just so good to worship with you all to this point. And uh, now let's take the word of God. If you would take the book of Romans, take a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 8. I want to speak to you this morning about how the Holy Spirit helps you when you don't know how to pray. We've been studying Romans 8 for oh, a couple months now. It's a majestic chapter filled with soul-strengthening truths, faith-building truths. It's a kind of text that fuels faith, faith in Jesus. And not just any sort of faith. Uh, it fuels resilient faith in Christ Jesus. Resilient faith at a time when, when so much is going on around us. Everything just seems so contrary to faith. I mean, you've heard me put it before, we're living in Babylon, so to speak, figurative Babylon. No longer living in Jerusalem, figurative Jerusalem, Christendom. When, when in, in Jerusalem, you could expect things to kind of go the way God would want them, sort of. But in Babylon, you don't expect that anymore. You're expecting that things will not go sort of the way God wants them. That the, that the world around will be broken and stuff will be in your face. And you won't be able to understand why things are happening. They were. That's life in Babylon. And God has given to us Romans 8 so that we can have a courageous and adorable faith in our day and age. A Daniel-like faith. Daniel was an Old Testament prophet who lived in Babylon. And if you know his story, if you read his book, you know that, for instance, living in Babylon, he faced opposition for his faith. And he had to deal with challenges from people who were opposed to what he believed. He and his friends had to face fiery trials. He was tempted, but he never, he never gave up it, it, to, to remain strong in habits of prayer, even though people didn't want him to do that. Habits of prayer, habits of uh, scripture intake. Uh, he had an enduring faith in the circumstances of Babylon. It says of him in chapter 1, it says that Daniel resolved that he would not allow himself to be defiled by the stuff around him. And that's, not what, that's what I want for myself. That's what I want for you. I want us to have a resilient, shining faith. But I'm not the Daniel I would like to be. 
I'm not the spiritual giant that I would hope to be. I'm not the spiritual ordinary that I would hope to be. And in part, that's because I'm not the prayer, the prayer that I would like to be. And today, we're going to learn how the Holy Spirit helps us to pray, especially in those times when we don't know how to pray. Maybe we don't even want to pray. So let me read to you Romans 8. I'm going to read 22 through 27. I mean, I'm cutting Paul off in the midst of some arguments, but I really am focusing now on this text as it speaks about the Holy Spirit. I dealt with most of this text two weeks ago. So now I'm going, to fo- I'm going to read 22 through 27. My focus is going to be on a little phrase in verse 23 and then verses 26 and 27. Followers read 8, 22 through 27. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. You know, all the brokenness, the death, the violence, the hatred of the world. It's groaning And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we Christians, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, which includes the redemption, the resurrection and change of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. I mean, who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, in this broken world, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, God, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because for the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is God's Word. Now, in this text that I just read, there are two works of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And in terms of the argument that Paul's been pressing upon us since beginning in verse 18, these two works are the next two steps, the next two rungs in a ladder that he has been building since verse 18. I I developed that ladder image two weeks ago. Uh, A ladder that takes us from verse 18 and the sufferings of this present time up to verses 28, 29, and 30 in two weeks from now. We're in eternity in God's eternal purposes for us. It's a wonderful ladder. Verse 18, Paul makes his audacious claim that there's no comparison at all between the sufferings and the pain and the loss and the death and the the turmoil of this world, stuff that we experience in this age, and the beauty and the wonder and the resurrection change of the age to come. I was reminded of the idea of there being no comparison this past week when I saw the release of an annual report of the rankings of airports 
in the United States. They take all the airports, break them into the major airports, medium-sized and small airports. Major airports. The number one airport. I saw pictures of it. I've never been there. It's a beautiful-looking airport. Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. I mean, what a beautiful name. And it looks beautiful. I mean, it makes me want to fly to Phoenix just to go to the airport, you know? So that's number one. Bottom of the list, anything to do with New York City. LaGuardia, well, that's medium size. Uh, uh, JFK and Liberty, bottom of the list. There's no comparison between Sky Harbor Phoenix and Liberty Newark. No comparison at all. Same thing here. No comparison between all the the pain and the suffering and the disappointment and the frustration and the eventual death, unless Jesus comes back, of this world compared to the glory and the transformation and the wonder and the radiance and the beauty and the love and the security of the age to come. Just no comparison at all. And if you are a Christian... If you have consciously put your faith in Jesus Christ and been born again, then the beauty and the wonder of that age are yours for sure, certain. And in the meantime, in this broken age, in Newark Airport, the Holy Spirit is at work. Two more reasons why you can know that the pain and the loss of this age will be more than offset by the beauty and the wonder of the age to come. I'm going to deal with one phrase in verse 23 to get the first of those reasons. And then I'm going to uh, deal with verses 26 and 27 to get the second of those reasons. So here's the first reason, verse 23. The Holy Spirit hands us taste spoons of eternal life. And it sure tastes good. We're going to deal with the phrase in verse 23. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits of the Spirit. That's what I want to deal with. But first, let me tell you about this past Wednesday night. Wednesday night around 8 o'clock, I, along with Karen, we went to the Bent Spoon Ice Cream Store downtown Palmer Square. Now, remember Wednesday night? It was like 20 degrees out, okay? So only a few people were there at the Bent Spoon, surprise. I mean, I said to myself, what am I doing here at the Bent Spoon ice cream store when it's it's 20 degrees out? The door would open just a couple times. There was only a couple people came there while we were there. The door would open and I'd say, could you please shut that? It's really, really cold. I'm shivering, you know? So what was I doing getting ice cream when it was 20 degrees out? Well, we had some friends visiting, long-term friends. We've known them for decades. And they wanted to go to the Bent Spoon ice cream store. But the crazy thing is that these friends are from Hawaii. Okay? So like Hawaii, where like, like the annual low is 55 degrees, 20 degrees out. They want ice cream. I could understand if they were from Alaska. Man, 20 degrees is a heat wave. We better go get some ice cream. But Hawaii just doesn't make any sense. So we're there, the four of us. We go up to the counter. 
There's a counter. And behind the, con- the, the glass counter, there, there's tubs of their flavors for the day. And I'm looking at the tubs and I say, oh, Sicilian blood orange. I'm Sicilian. I like orange. I love the color red. Could I try Sicilian blood orange, please? And, and the woman behind the, the counter, she takes a taste spoon, a tiny little spoon. And she goes to the, to the tub there and she, she, she kind of scrapes out a little spot of Sicilian blood orange. She gives it to me. I, I take the taste spoon. I taste it. Mm. I said, that's good. But it's sorbet, which is ice. And I came for ice cream. Okay. So I said, well, could I try the, the hazelnut? She gets another taste spoon. Scoops it out. Gives it to me. Oh, I like that. Yes, that's what I want. But then I see another flavor, kulfi. If you've ever had kulfi, it's, it's vanilla, it's creamy, it has pistachio and cardamom in it. It's so good. Could I try the kulfi? She takes a third taste spoon. She gives me a taste spoon of the kulfi. I said, yes, that's what I want. Hazelnut and kulfi. And I couldn't wait to get the cup with a big scoop of hazelnut and a big scoop of kofi. And I couldn't wait because I had for just a moment, just a tiny little taste of hazelnut and kofi. I know, knew what was coming and I couldn't wait to get it. That's what Paul's talking about when he writes here that we Christians have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits is a, is a farming term. If we are from families that farm, we'd know what it means. It's, it's, it's a taste spoon. You know, the, the farmer goes out, the farmer plants the crop. Let's say it's squash, acorn squash. You know, plants it, waters it, weeds it, fertilizes it. You know, months go by, prayers to God to, to have a good harvest. And finally the harvest comes and the, the farmer and his crew, they go out and they harvest the, the squash. They bring it in and they try the first one. And that's the first fruits of the harvest, the first acorn squash of the harvest. They try it and, oh, if it's good, oh, this is a really good Harvest. The Holy Spirit is taste spoon. He's the first fruits. He's he's bring he's bringing into the Christian's life little tastes, little tastes of eternity. Paul's already mentioned some of those in this chapter. Let, let, let me point out just a couple. Verse 4, kind of. These are flavors, taste spoon flavors. Okay, verse 4, he talks about how when we walk according to the Spirit, we can fulfill the righteous intentions of the law. I mean, the Old Testament law was given to the people of God to create a society, an ideal community that would be marked by righteousness and love, and loyalty. Let me bring this down even closer. Let me give you a specific example. Out in the atrium, there's a Christmas tree. 
This is not an advertisement. This is an illustration. But I'd love for you to be involved in this Christmas tree because on this Christmas tree are some tags. It's part of our no empty stocking campaign. And you take a tag and you have the name of a child and you've got what that child wants, what that child dream gift would be for Christmas. This child is from a family that's below the poverty line. The child will not have much of a Christmas, if any at all. This would be a dream come true to get this particular gift. So you take the tag. If you've ever done this, you know, you, you go, you get the gift, you select it out, you bring it to church, you put it under the tree. And in all that, you, ex- you, you have this experience of, of generosity, of joy that you can make a difference in someone's life, of humility that you have enough to be able to give to a child that doesn't have anything. So humility and joy and generosity and, and wholeness, you're making a difference. And that experience, that experience of joy and humility and wholeness is a taste spoon of the age to come. Because in the age to come, the whole world will be filled with people whose greatest desire is to, putting it in verse 4's terms, to fulfill the righteous intention of the law, to live righteously and generously and, and joyously and abundantly toward other people. Filled with people, and you yourself will be one of them, totally changed. So you'll do that all the time. Just a little taste spoon now of what you will be in the age to come. Same thing in verse 6. We've got another flavor handed to us. Paul writes To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And when our heart, our intention, our purpose is in line with God and his spirit, when we're, we're going after what he's going after, and there's that, that kind of unity and harmony and wholeness, we experience life as it's intended, a fullness and an abundance of life. We experience peace and that experience of life and peace, even if it's just for five seconds, is a taste spoon of what will be life in the age to come all the time without interruption. I mean, they're all over this chapter. One more, verse 15. The age to come will be an age in which the love of God as as an endeared father to you, a committed father to you and to all his people, an age in which God's fatherhood will fill and surround everyone and everything. I'll tell you one of the most powerful sermons in my life that has been ever, that I've ever read. I've did for obvious reasons when you hear it, I didn't hear it preached was a sermon preached in 1740 by Jonathan Edwards called Heaven is a World of Love. And when you, in those moments, when you have the Holy Spirit sealed to you, God loves 
you. God is your father. He's attentive to you. That's another taste spoon. It's in the taste spoon of what will be your experience all the time without interruption in the age to come. My, my point is this. I want to open your understanding and open your imagination so that when the Holy Spirit of God hands to you a taste spoon, the first fruits of the Spirit, you see it, you receive it for what it is. And you could say, boyish, if heaven is like this, without interruption, if heaven is like this, I can't wait. Give me that cup of hazelnut and coffee. I, I want it. I want it. No comparison whatsoever. That's where we're headed. And when you see those tastepoons for what they are, what they are, you can join Paul and say, there's just, just no comparison between all the, the suffering and loss and disappointment and pain of this age and the joy of the age to come. That's the first reason. Now let's come down to verses 26 and 27. Second reason why you can know that there is no comparison is that when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit makes our prayers for us. Verses 26 and 27. Let me reread the verses. Um, they're just, I think these are among the most unnoticed verses in chapter 8. There's so many highlights in chapter 8. These verses should not be overlooked. Let me read them. Likewise, the Spirit helps us, helps you if you're a Christian, in your weakness. For you and I, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts, that's God the Father, God searches hearts. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of his spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, these verses are really hard to understand. And all kinds of people commentators and scholars and preachers have said all kinds of things about what these verses mean. One of the most common ways to understand them, and understandably so, is that when Paul writes there about groanings too deep for words, that he's describing the gift of tongues. And as I've thought through this, verses 26 and 27, I don't see that Paul's talking about the gift of tongues there. And I don't say that because I don't allow for the gift of tongues in this age. I do. I say that because Paul's talking here about something, a work of the Spirit that is true for every Christian. And we know from what Paul writes elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, that the gift of tongues is a gift given to just some Christians, not all of them. This is something different. This is something that every Christian uh, can experience. So what is he talking about here? 
I mean, he's clearly talking about the spirit at work in our hearts. Groaning's too deep for words. God searching our hearts. He's clearly the spirit of God at work in, in our hearts. Which then should remind us that he's already talked about that sort of thing up in verses 15 and 16. And he's done it there with a lot more development. It's almost like verses 15 and 16 are a template. In those verses, he writes about the work of the Spirit in a Christian's heart, giving the Christian an experience, an understanding of God's love, an assurance of God's love is the best way to put it. The Spirit working in us, shaping us, so that we experience and then express to God our love for him. He loves us. We love him. The same sort of thing here, except Paul's no longer dealing now with the love of God, the kind of a a, a radiant, uplifting experience. He's talking about groaning, difficulty, loss, pain. And he's saying that the same Holy Spirit who was working there when when you're soaring is at work in your heart when you're broken, when you don't know what to make of what's going on around you, you don't know what to pray, and maybe you don't even want to pray. Now, I've, I've, I have studied and wrestled through this text. There are so many components to it, so many ways you could read this and understand that. It's, very, it's complex, it's complicated. I'm going to collapse all the exegesis and the reading and the thinking and the praying that I've done this past week, and I'm going to collapse it down into a a translation of verses 26 and 27 that I believe captures what Paul's saying. And let me just say that this translation uh, rests on several English translations. So it's not like this is kind of Pat, Pastor Matt's crazy thing. This is, this is well-recognized I'm, how I'm translating it and how I understand these verses. Here's the translation. The Spirit of God helps us in our present struggles. Now, let me just stop there. Let me just stop there. That is a gospel statement. We're broken. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to deal with things. And, and you know, in, in some religions, it could be God would be saying, fix it. Get it right. Straighten it out. But not in Christianity. The Spirit of God helps us. He comes alongside to lift us up, work with us in our present struggles. For example, there are times when we do not know how to pray or what to pray. So we groan and we sigh and we long for something that we can't even put into words. And we yearn for Jesus to have his way, even if that frightens us. If he has his way, this might happen, and I'm really nervous about that. And when that happens, those groanings and prayers, I mean, those groanings and sighings and longings and yearnings in which we're just letting God know how we feel, and in the midst of it somewhere, there's a, a, a willingness, have your way. 
kind of like Jesus in the garden? When that happens, that is the Spirit of God at work within us, actually praying for us in those agonizing longings which never find words. For the Spirit takes those longings right up to the Father. And the Father, who knows the heart's secrets, understands the Spirit's intention as he prays for us. I believe that's what Paul's talking about here. I mean, let's be honest. There are many times that we don't know how to pray. Well, you don't know how to pray. There are many times when we don't want to pray. A sick, seriously sick child, if you're a parent, you get that. Something said or done to you that's heart, hurtful, a betrayal, something so deep, it just, it just shakes you. And you, don't, you don't know how to pray. You don't even know what to, what to say. As a pastor, I see this from time to time, and we will all, maybe, in, in some sense, we will face this. The details will be different. But what do you pray when you're lying in a hospital bed, catheters in your arm, and you're facing death? What, what do you say in the middle of all that? This is the Spirit of God's work for us, is helping us in those settings. Let me give you an example, a, a real example. It's from the life of the mother of a preacher and a teacher down at Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alexander, Alabama, I should say. His name is Dr. Robert Smith, Jr. And here's what he writes. I used to watch my mother. I didn't understand her sometimes. When we had physical needs, a lack, no food, she'd walk around and she'd start moaning because black folk used to say, when you moan, the devil doesn't know what you're talking about. And she'd say, mm. Mm. and tears would be rolling down her eyes. No food. And after a while, somebody's knocking on the door. Here comes some turnip greens. Somebody's knocking on the door. Here comes some cornbread. And all she did was moan. As a kid, I didn't understand that. And I sure didn't want to ask her what she was moaning about because she wasn't moaning to me. She was moaning to God. Is it possible that when the pressure is really on you, when there are losses in your family, when there is unemployment, when there are, are relational schisms that tear your family apart, when there's disease in your body, 
and you just don't know what to say. At those times, I don't care what your GPA is. I don't care what kind of linguist you are. You just can't come up with the words. And when you try to form the words, they get stuck in your throat. And the only thing you can do is, like my mother, groan. Well, the Holy Spirit picks up those groans. And he gives them shape. And he plants inside our groans a desire to tell God what we want and a desire to say to God, your will be done. I hope again I'm opening your eyes. I hope I'm making you aware of yet another way that the Holy Spirit of God brings God and Christ right down into our hearts, into our weakness. He makes our prayers for us. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, said this about this text. He said, it is a mark of wondrous condescension that God should not only answer our prayers when they are made, but that he should make our prayers for us when we can't make them. It's one thing for a king to say to a petitioner, Bring your case before me and I will grant you what you desire. That's kindness. But it is another thing for the king to say, I will be your secretary. I will write out your petition for you. I will put it in proper words so that your petition shall be acceptable. That is goodness at its utmost stretch. But this is precisely what the Holy Spirit does for us poor, ignorant, wavering, weak people. Listen, Jesus in his agony in the garden was strengthened by an angel, but you are helped by God himself. Aaron and her, H-U-R, held up the hands of Moses, but the Holy Spirit himself helps your weaknesses. It's a broken world out there. It's a broken world in here. It's a broken world inside each of us. It's a broken world. It's a broken world. And we need tastes of the future age to build in us a resilient faith. Those Taste spoons that the Spirit gives to us, verse 23, they deepen a resilient faith that knows there's an age to come. And in that age, everything here, everything broken, all the loss, all the pain, all the suffering, all the fearful things, all the scorn, all the mockery, all the contradiction, all the misunderstandings, they will be more than offset by what's coming. So open your eyes. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you those tastes. And we need the prayers of the Spirit in this age. Through our laments and our tears, our groans and our cries. When we don't know what to pray, we don't know what to do. We need him to shape our cries. Go deep into the groans. Plant in them a desire. Jesus, you have your way. And bring them ordered and authentic from our hearts right up to the Father. So open your heart.
even if you can't put it into words, sigh and groan and cry before God and allow the Spirit to make your prayers for you when you don't know how to pray. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, thank you for bringing the gospel into our hearts. Thank you for taking our brokenness, taking our groans and our sighs and our confusion and turning them into authentic, heartfelt cries to the Father in the midst of which is a desire, your will be done, not mine. To you be praised.